see my Savior's hands. The title says it all. Pastor Will Whedon, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. There at the very beginning of the book of Acts, there are some important things noted about the earliest Christians. First and foremost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and breaking of bread and prayers. That's their liturgical sacramental life together. But that life extended into how they dealt with their material possessions. They had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and giving the proceeds to those as they had need. What did the earliest Christians understand about giving in a time of crisis. There's an article in the conversation titled, What Early Christian Communities Tell Us About Financial Giving Aid at a Time of Crisis. Maybe there's something we can learn from them and apply it to the church's life today. Joining us to talk about early Christian communities and giving in a financial crisis, Pastor Heath Curtis, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Warden, Illinois, and Zion Lutheran Church in Carpenter, Illinois. He's coordinator for LCMS Stewardship. Heath, welcome back to Issues Etc. Always good to be with you, Todd. There's this account in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What exactly is Luke describing there? Yeah, so obviously what he's describing is a love and a care for Christians for for one another. As St. Paul says later in the New Testament, let us do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. And so the Christian community was a tight-knit community. They were a community that wanted to make sure that their members were cared for, especially in in Act 6, in a time of great need. There there was a great need at at that time due to the exterior circumstances of the church. People were being kicked out of the synagogue, basically ostracized in their community. Maybe that meant a lot of them lost their jobs. Certainly meant that a lot of people who depended on on others, maybe in their extended family, had those relationships damaged because they had come to believe in the Lord Jesus and others had rejected them. And so the church took these measures voluntarily, and, and the whole story in Acts five tells us even more so that that this was something that was voluntary. If you wanted whatever you felt moved to give, whatever you could give for this radical generosity in the early church, you were encouraged to do so, but you weren't required to do so. So the whole story of Ananias and Sapphira tells us about that. But the main thing it tells me is that the church was very serious about showing the love of Christ for people in very concrete ways. So why was that mutual material support, especially under those circumstances, so important to the apostolic church? Yeah, so, I mean, within the context, I mean, think about what's going on in Jerusalem in these early days. You know, this is just right after Pentecost. In these early days, Jesus prophesied what would happen during Holy Week when he was speaking to the disciples. This is all recorded in John's Gospel. And he tells them that, you know, they will put you out of the synagogues. That is, 
uh, those who believe in Jesus were being tossed out of the synagogue. The, the vast majority of Jews in Jerusalem rejected the, the message of Jesus. And so his disciples were put out of the synagogue, excommunicated. And again, this is, you know, it's hard for us to imagine. In our nation, we're very easygoing about religious affiliation. You know, you're a Methodist, you're a Baptist, yeah, he's a Jew, he, he's a Muslim, you know, whatever. We all get along in civil society and, and so forth. You have to remember that's, that's not the case in first century Jewish society. To be put out of the synagogue was to be made an outcast, like the tax collectors and prostitutes. You're put out of decent society, or you're basically ostracized from your family, from your employment. And, and so the church felt tons of... It, it was very clear to the church that the church was separate from the world. Great temptation in our day is to view ourselves simply as part of the world, simply as part of a wider society that extends beyond the church. The Apostolic Church, that wasn't an option for them. They lived what Jesus said when he said, you're going to be in the world, but not of the world. You're going to be set apart. And so if they were going to have the care that they needed, if Christians were going to have the external, physical, monetary aid they needed in times of crisis, that was going to have to come from the church, have to come from one another. Did this pattern continue as the church grew and expanded geographically? Yeah, it did. And we have all, all kinds of examples of this from the early church, because again, in the first, I mean, let's say the first three centuries, certainly, as the church expanded, it continued to expand in contradiction to the world around it. So the church continued to be illegal or marginally legal, persecuted either very forcefully or sometimes just kind of a low-grade persecution, again, the, this notion of being uh, you know, looked down upon and viewed as separate from the rest of society, whether that was Jewish society in Palestine or Gentile society around the Greco-Roman world. And so everywhere that persisted, the church, again, it just simply was not optional, and, and nobody else was going to do it. We live in a post-Christian world, that is, we live in societies that eventually, throughout the churches, you know, skipping through a lot of history, eventually the Western nations became Christian. And so the idea of charity and the idea of caring for the poor and the idea of caring for one another in times of distress, that became a society-wide burden precisely because Christianity was society-wide. And so the church and the state cooperated together, and, and now in our post-Christian society, and especially in America, in the post-Great Society, post-New Deal world, the government has really taken a lot of that space from us as the church. And so we think of it now as the government's job to provide welfare, the government's job to provide food stamps, the government's job to provide assistance programs in times of disaster or economic distress. Well, the early Christian church, they didn't have any of that. What they had was a church that was viewed as completely separate from society, not only by themselves, but by society itself. So if care was going to happen for Christians, it had to come from the church. Again, whether that was in Jerusalem or as the church spread throughout the Greco-Roman world, the church always took care of her own in this matter of charity and almsgiving wherever the church ended up. What other New Testament passages tell us about 
giving in the apostolic church? I mean, the classics are like, you know, 1 Corinthians 16, where, where St. Paul talks about uh, collecting, uh, again, a, a relief package for what was probably a famine in Jerusalem. And he's talking about, you know, so those very familiar words, on the first day of the week when you gather together, let each man set aside something as he has prospered. And so the idea of planning your gift and giving in a proportion to as the Lord has blessed you and in an imitation of the Old Testament tithe, God did not establish in the Old Testament, you know, everybody give $50 or something, 50 shekels, but rather everybody give a proportion of your income. And in the Old Testament, one of those proportions, 10% of your income, was just for the upkeep of the ministry. So then St. Paul again, 1 Corinthians 9, says in the New Testament, the Lord has ordained that those who preach the gospel should make their living from the gospel. So, you know, it's hard to see how the church is going to do less than a tithe to support full-time ministry when a tithe is what was required in the Old Testament. But that was just for the ongoing ministry of the church. But what you're talking about, you know, in these questions of well, what I was talking about in 1 Corinthians 16 is beyond that. What you were talking about in Acts 2 and 4 and 5 is beyond that. This is care above and beyond just providing a ministry for the church. Now we're talking about caring for the poor, caring for widows in the church. Again, you can read all about that in First Timothy. He lists this very specific program that uh, the church where St. Timothy was pastor at, that they had a very specific program for caring for widows who had no means of support within their families. Well, then the church is going to take care of that. And, and he lists, you know, they need to be above 60, they need to be, you know, of good repute. You know, if they're going to take this program, that means they're not interested in getting married. They have to be in a position where they don't have family to care for them. And so the church, from very early on within the New Testament, giving was about at least two things. It was about supporting the ministry of the church so the church can do its work of word and sacrament ministry, of making disciples, of bringing people to the font and the altar. But in addition to that, and just as important, giving above and beyond for the needs of the poor, especially of poor Christians, for the needs of those who were simply, due to various circumstances beyond their control, not able to care for their own economic needs, again, especially Christians, fellow Christians. And so there's a lot of giving in the New Testament, both for the normal ministry of the Church and for the almsgiving ministry of the Church. Go into more detail about how the Apostle Paul organized that giving for the Church in Jerusalem. What was going on? This is almost certainly part of one of the big themes of Paul's early ministry, is demonstrating that both Jews and Gentiles can believe in Jesus, get saved in the same way, namely by faith alone, by the grace of God alone, which we receive through faith in Jesus alone, and that both Jews and Gentiles, therefore, belong to the same body of Christ. And so he saw this famine that evidently that was especially, this is a famine that happened in the year 49 under uh, Emperor Claudius, very well known from various historical records. And this hit Jewish Christians, Christians of Jewish descent, very hard, because in 49, Claudius ejected Jews from the city of Rome. A lot of them went back to the Jewish homeland in Palestine. Many of them were Christians. Paul said, okay, here's an opportunity to demonstrate to Jewish Christians who very often were, were not, it was hard for them to understand how, how now 
have things changed? You know, the Old Testament told me I'm not even supposed to eat lunch with a Gentile, and now they're supposed to be my brothers and sisters in Christ and the Jewish Messiah. How does that work? And so that took a lot of explaining in the early church. And in the book of Acts and really the book of Matthew, you know, a big part of that story is, is getting that explained, getting that through people's heads. And so Paul saw this as a great opportunity. Let's let the whole worldwide church, all Christians, especially Gentile Christians, let's let them show love to their fellow Christians, their fellow members of the body in Christ back in Jerusalem with this offering to relieve this time of famine and scarcity. What were the theological principles that Paul employed when he was asking the Gentile churches for this assistance? Yeah, well, first of all, he's, he's talking about, so one I've already mentioned, that we're all members of one body. We're all in this together, that the church is the body of Christ, that we serve, and that therefore we serve one another in love. Not everybody's a hand, not everybody's a foot, not everybody's an eye. It's very familiar passages. Again, and these are all from 1 Corinthians. I mean, everything we've talked about pretty much touches on chapters 9 through 16 of, of uh, 1 Corinthians. And so, first of all, we're all members of the body of Christ. And then second, kind of, it's not explicitly stated, but, but it's clear from, this, from the whole gist of what he's doing, Christians care for you, body and soul. But Christianity is not merely some philosophy. Christianity is not so heavenly-minded that it's no earthly good. Christianity, in fact, cares for human beings, and human beings are body and soul. I mean, think of all the other things Paul says about our outward life. You know, he has a lot to say about Gentiles who've grown up in a world of rampant sexual immorality. St. Paul talks about how Christians use their bodies, not for sexual immorality, but in chaste marriage. He talks all about how we serve our, our neighbor in need. Or the book of James, right? Another one. You who are rich, how can you come to church? You see your brother who's poor, you treat him poorly. That's not how you treat a fellow member of the body of Christ. And so I, I would start with those two big principles within the theology of Christianity, that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and that God cares for us body and soul. A human being is body and soul together. And so the church is interested not only or merely in philosophical principles or in religious statements. We're interested in taking care of one another in our everyday physical needs as well. Pastor Heath Curtis is our guest. We're talking about early Christians and giving during a time of crisis. When we come back, after the apostolic era, were there other mass collections for Christians in need? I've written a column for the latest issues, etc. journal titled Closed Communion, Biblical, Historical, Lutheran, and Loving. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Nancy Almodovar writes about her journey from the profound doubt produced by her former Calvinist beliefs to the absolute certainty of Lutheran theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. 
In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. Do you know any military veterans in your church or community? Do you have a passion to support and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then Operation Barnabas is for you. Called by Christ's love, Operation Barnabas engages, empowers, and equips LCMS faith communities to provide hope, healing, and support to military-connected persons living in their community. Operation Barnabas is a program of LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces, Find out more at lcms.org slash armed forces. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, lutheranpublicradio.org. Your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Heath Curtis is our guest. We're discussing the early Christian church and giving in a time of a crisis. Heath, after the apostolic era, do we know of any other mass collections for Christians in need? Yeah, so uh, the article you guys uh, sent me, where'd you dig this up from today? It was very interesting. Everybody's talking about plagues these days, right? So Because we've got a little coronavirus mini-plague going on right now. And uh, the author of this piece talks about a, a well-known situation that happened in the uh, third quarter of the second century, so around the year 166, and it lasted until the year about 188. Th- there was a very serious plague that went through the Roman world. It's called usually called the Antonine Plague. It's named for Marcus Aurelius, and it was almost certainly the appearance of smallpox in Europe. We have good descriptions of it from medical men back at the time, and this is almost certainly the first outbreak of of smallpox and how it came to Europe and 
interestingly, almost certainly through contact with China and India and the opening of the Silk Road. And so it's a very interesting time of world history. And we have this letter between the church at Rome and the church at Corinth. The church at Rome had taken up a collection and sent it to Corinth. So right there, that's very interesting, right? We just talked about how this big collection for Jerusalem came from Corinth in, let's say, roughly the year 50 A.D. And now it's a little over 100 years later, and now a church in another part of the world, Rome, is supporting the needs of the Christians in Corinth, who evidently were especially hit hard by this plague. We can guess why. Corinth is a port town. Corinth is a trading town. It's on the, an isthmus that uh, separates the Peloponnesian Peninsula in Greece from the rest of mainland Greece. And so it was a, a natural harbor and uh, very dependent upon trade. And also, ports are where diseases spread from. So it probably had a double whammy. The plague comes in on the boats, and then once it does, once the plague spreads, trade turns off to a mere trickle of what it once was. And, and so the, the church in Rome provides them aid. And we have descriptions of and quotes from the correspondence between these two churches. And so th- there's a great example. And again, it's hard for us, well, not as hard as it used to be. We're beginning to imagine what a plague time would be as we're all uh, locked in our houses and work's not getting done and we're seeing pictures of uh, overflowing uh, hospitals on the news. Well, man, this this was the real deal in the days of Marcus Aurelius uh, with, you know, maybe 25% uh, of the people dying uh, with the first coming of smallpox into Europe. And the church was there. The church cared for one another. Interestingly, one of the ways Marcus Aurelius tried to combat the plague was by persecuting Christianity. Christianity was on the rise in the middle of the second century, and Marcus really sees this plague, and he's like, well, this, this is the gods punishing Roman society for allowing this strange sect to arise. But through the plague, the stock of Christianity went up in the eyes of everyday pagans because they saw how Christians cared for one another and cared for members of their community, even who were not Christians. How they, again, took care of the physical needs of people and were kind and generous and provided food and water and kind of basic nursing care and saw that in the midst of this plague, the Christians were more interested in loving their neighbor than they were interested in being afraid of death. And that spoke volumes to the Christian message, a message of love and mercy born from the love and mercy of God and sending Christ to save us from our sins. And so that's just a a really great example of what was going on in the second century that really points to, to lessons for our day, for sure. Has the Church made a distinction between offerings, that is, the material support that go to support the ministry of the Church, pastors and churches, and almsgiving, money that is directed outward? Yeah, for sure. And this is very helpful for individual Christians to see and to remember, you know, to get a picture in your mind of what is the ministry of the church. Let's, you know, let's take your, your average church that's out there. What are they doing? What, what is the church providing? Well, the church provides a place for Christians to meet and worship the Lord. So we have a building we have to take care of. 
maybe we still have a mortgage on it, or maybe our church is 150 years old, and there's no mortgage, but there's a lot of upkeep. And then we need a pastor, a man placed in our midst through the church's order. We believe that the Holy Spirit operates through the church and calling men to the office of the ministry to come and be in our midst, give us the gospel, give us the sacraments as Christ wants us to have them, lead our communities into the truth. Well, if you want somebody there doing that as a full-time job, we, you know, we have to provide for him. Again, I've already quoted 1 Corinthians 9.14. The Lord has ordained that those who preach the gospel should make their living from the gospel. Well, kind of those two items, and I even talked about congregations with schools, right? Another huge ministry that, that many churches have. I haven't even talked about missions, the desire to send out extra workers beyond our local pastor to areas throughout the country and throughout the world who need the gospel. And I haven't talked about yet the need to give alms, the need to care for the unfortunate, the need to help people in times of crisis. So, yeah, when people begin to think about everything the church does, there, there is a great need for Christians to be generous. Because every one of the things I've mentioned, you, know, you cannot do without. Every one of those things is part of the church's ministry. We need a place to gather together to worship the Lord. We need our children to be educated. So even, even if you don't have a physical Christian day school, you need to be doing something to support Christian education. And uh, that's going to require resources, whether that's uh, additional church staff or whether it's simply a, a great way of providing the resources parents need to teach their children the faith at home. Missionaries almsgiving, caring for the poor, caring for the needy. The church is doing all these things, and that can only work, and that certainly only works well, if Christians feel the call from the Lord in his word directing us to be generous toward all these needs and to share, like the, the folks did in the book of Acts, to share their income, to share the, the money that the Lord has given them the ability to earn, to share that with everything that the church is doing. If that doesn't happen, then these things don't get done. Did Martin Luther have anything to say about giving? Sure. There's a great scene, if I'll, I'll quote you the movie instead of, instead of a specific thing, <laughs> the, 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 the great black and white Martin Luther movie from the 50s, which I think is still the, the most superior Martin Luther uh, motion picture that's out there. There's a great scene where kind of just off the cuff at the end of a sermon, he mentions, oh, oh yeah, hey, and, you know, whatever precinct of town, it's, it, you know, you have a, a tithe due, you know, you, you have to provide the, uh, they had to bring a cow to slaughter for, you know, the needs of, of the preacher and the teacher and the, and the deacon and everybody else who's serving the church. And so Luther was definitely not shy in many different, uh, so we can see him acting in his role as part of a, a parish Staff, you know, he was never the he was never the the sole pastor of what we think of as a standalone church, but he was part of a parish staff at the big college church in Wittenberg, and we see him also speaking, especially to people who are very well off. You know, Luther is as the leader of the Reformation. He often talked to the prince or to the other wealthy members of the city council and talked to them about and had very harsh words for them sometimes about, you know, are you providing all the things that the church needs? Luther was very strong on care for the poor 
and the desire for that, that in a Christian nation, Christian city like Wittenberg, that people should be cared for and that people would be led into the kind of evaluation that St. Paul talks about in First Thessalonians, right? If you don't work, then you don't eat. So don't take advantage of the system. And so that need to be evaluated. But if you are in need, boy, we are here to help you and to help you in generosity. And so, again, as someone who's plugged into and concerned about everything that the church is doing, from the maintenance of the ministers of the church to the, the care of these kind of church-wide programs for the poor, Luther's involved in that. And then, of course, there are these stories of, of his own personal generosity, you know, welcoming and personal enemy, uh, Andreas Karlstadt, who had been a partner with Luther early in the Reformation, then turned against him and then fell on hard times. Luther allows him to come back and even crash on his couch for some period of time and take care of him. All the stories about his wife, Katie, you know, hiding money from Luther because he was so apt to give it away to people in need. And again, this is, this is a common trait throughout Christian history of, of great Christian leaders, that they exhibited in their individual lives this life of generosity that comes from knowing, A, knowing that you have a Father in Heaven who is going to care for you, like Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, and two, knowing that you are imitating the love that Christ has shown you on the cross. Again, as St. Paul uses this, that he who is rich for your sakes became poor, so that you who are poor in him might become rich and have all the blessings of God. You know, St. Paul uses that, points to the cross as an example of God's generosity that we should imitate. So how would you summarize a Lutheran approach to giving? The Lutheran approach to everything in sanctification, and, and giving is part of sanctification, part of our life of holy living. As Christians, we want to live holy, godly lives that bring honor to the name of our Lord. We call that sanctification. Lutherans approach sanctification through the lens of the vocations we have from the Lord, the callings that we have from the Lord in home, church, and society. So if you begin to put on that, those lenses of vocation, and you don't just look at, well, there's just me and there's just all these things going on around me, but you begin to order things as home, church, and society. And again, the, the New Testament does this. I've already quoted one of these verses, let us do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith. And the other one I could have quoted was, was again, when, when St. Paul is, is talking about how the church's almsgiving should be ordered, he tells people, now listen, first, you need to take care of your own aged parents because those who won't care for their own families are worse than unbelievers. So we've got home, church, and world. Each of us needs to take care of the family that we've been placed in. So the vast majority of our resources go for that. But outside that family, we exist in a church. We need to generously support what the church is doing, the church is almsgiving, the church is care for the poor. And that is so much more powerful when we do that together as a church in the name of Christ. And then we need to make sure that beyond the walls of the church, beyond the family of the church, we're also looking out for our neighbors in need, showing them the love of Christ by very, in a very concrete way, by dealing with their very concrete physical needs. And so the, the Lutheran approach to everything in sanctification is that doctrine of vocation, looking at how the Lord's called me to act 
in home, church, and world, our giving, our generosity, our stewardship is especially helped if we remember those three spheres of life and look at the ways that the Lord has given us to serve in each one of them. We're talking to LCMS Stewardship Coordinator Pastor Heath Curtis about the early church and giving during a crisis. When we come back, how does that view of giving inform our response to a crisis like a pandemic? The Issues Etc. Journal is absolutely free. It's online and you can read it for yourself. I've written a column on Closed Communion, Biblical, Historical, Lutheran, and Loving, along with our Wittenberg Trail feature by Dr. Nancy Almodovar, her journey from Reformed theology to Lutheranism. As I said, it's free and online. Go to our website, issuesetc.org, click the red subscription button, enter your email address, and we'll send you the Issues Etc. Journal. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March is for children ages 4 through 7. See My Savior's Hands is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Will Whedon. Learn more about See My Savior's Hands at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. See how Jesus' hands tell the story of his life, death, resurrection, and love for us in See My Savior's Hands, a great Easter gift for young children, grandchildren, and godchildren. See My Savior's Hands. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we're journeying on in Hebrews. Able to save to the uttermost? We have such a high priest. The new covenant, the replica of the reality and its meaning, and redemption and the blood. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Lutheran Federal Credit Union serves the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod community with car and personal loans, mortgages, credit cards, checking and savings accounts. Lutheran FCU supports LCMS organizations with its Spotlight Ministry program, and Lutheran Federal Credit Union allows you to make purchases with Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay using your digital wallet. Learn more at lutheranfcu.org. Good for you. Good for the church. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. Lutheranfcu.org. Remember when education was about the fundamental skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic? And about reading great literature and studying history to give our kids a model for what it is to be a good person? Memoria Press's Classical Christian Curriculum offers that very model for your homeschool. Get $5 off your next order by using the coupon code LPR20. For more information, go to memoriapress.com. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about the early Christian church and giving at a time of crisis. Pastor Heath Curtis is our guest. 
Heath, before the break, you were talking about the Lutheran approach to giving. How does that approach inform our response to a crisis like a pandemic? Yeah, so let's go right through it. it how's your family doing? So is there somebody in your family who's in one of these high-risk categories? Either somebody's just older and therefore more susceptible to bad complications if they, if they get this virus. You need to be doing the shopping for them if, if you're healthy and young. And, uh, you know, you need to – they don't need to be going out right now. You go out for them. You go do the shopping for them. You do the order online and pick up at your local grocery store, which just about everybody is doing. So start in the home. How's your family doing? Is everybody cared for? Then moving out from there to the church, again, are there people in your church who don't have that kind of family support, who have a compromised immune system, or they've been going through cancer treatments, or you've got a widow or a widower, and all their kids have moved away to four different states? That's very common. Your church, you know, you and the, you as a member of the church and your church together need to be making sure they're getting the things that they need. And then, as you move out toward your neighbor, can your church go even above and beyond that and serve those people in your community who need that help, who don't have family support or church of their own, who are caring for them? So if we move outward in those concentric circles, identifying the people in need of our care in the home, in the church, and in society, that's how things are ordered most effectively. So, so again, at our congregations, you know, we're collecting food, we're delivering food and medicine. The ladies' sewing group or you know, sewing the backup surgical masks that uh, so many hospitals and first responders, grocery stores are asking for now for their... So, so there's, there's something to do at each one of those levels. But everything works a lot better if everybody starts closest to home. And then we can begin to move out from home, church, society, and identify the people who really need our our help, as opposed to, I mean, imagine how how crazy it would be if if somebody was leaving their own mother or aged aunt who needed shopping for them. Well, I'm too busy to shop for you because I'm, you know, sewing masks for the local fire department. Well, wait a minute. Let's have you take care of your family first. You know their needs best. You're in the best position to help them. If you've got spare time after that, we've got something for you to do in the church. If the church has more manpower after we take care of ourselves, that's going to go out to the community. That's the best way for any kind of charitable process, any kind of almsgiving to go from the inside out according to our spheres of influence in the various vocations God's given us. It's likely that many congregations will be directing more of their resources inwardly, at least temporarily. What are your thoughts on that possibility? Well, of course, right? I mean, in a time of crisis, everybody's resources are going to be drawn on in a way that was not expected, right? So the stats before, you know, one of the stats that I use all the time in my work with stewardship before this crisis hit was that about 40% of U.S. households live so closely paycheck to paycheck that an unexpected bill of $500 would be impossible for them to pay by the end of the month. They'd have to put it on a credit card. They'd have to get a loan from a family member. they just have to not pay bills to cover that. Well, oh my goodness. Now, here we are, I think, with 27, 28 states 
are in a lockdown where, who knows, about 40% of the economy is shut down. Three point some million people filed for unemployment last week. Everybody's supposed to get government relief checks the next couple of weeks. But for the past month, think of all those people who've been living paycheck to paycheck, and now all of a sudden they're up against a wall. Well, that's happening within the church. That's happening within your family. That's happening within your church. It's happening within your community. Well, start closest to home. Who in your family needs your help? From there, if you got everybody in your family covered and you have accessibility to help, get with your church. What are they doing to help? Make sure the people in the church are taken care of. Now, after you've got all those people together to care for your church, you still have excess capacity that can help your neighbors. Okay, what's the plan? How are we going to help our neighbors? What's the program that that we're going to do for that? And that's just how it should always go. That's how it should always go. That's always the process. Home, church, society. What can groups of congregations do now and after the pandemic that individual congregations simply can't do on their own? Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. that. That's a great thing to talk about. So the way our church body is, is set up, our individual congregations exist within a district. Within those districts, kind of between the district and the congregation, the local congregations in a given area are called a circuit. So in my southern Illinois district, we have 11 circuits. So in my circuit, there are seven churches. We do a food bank together. In fact, along with other non-Lutheran churches in the area, we do a food bank together. The district has programs to help people, and then above the districts is our whole denomination from coast to coast, 6,000 congregations, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I'll give you a, a great example of what we do as a church body that individual congregations couldn't do on their own, just on an ongoing basis, is LCMS, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, disaster relief. So at the synod level, we have at least three full-time staff, or well, more than that because they're administrative assistants, a really good you know, five, six uh, full-time staff dedicated to training people out in our districts to be ready to respond to local disasters, tornadoes, floods, hurricanes, or the disaster that we're currently going through, a, a pandemic. And so each district then has, you know, response teams. An individual congregation might lead that for its whole circuit. And so these kind of examples of when everything goes really sideways, it's great to have everybody working at every level. So you as an individual, you're working in your family and in your church and then out from your church to your neighbors. It's great for congregations to be encouraging their people to help with their own families coordinating how the church is helping everybody at our local church, looking out to the community, and then touching base with the district around them. Got an email from a a Midwestern district of our church body. They're running an online seminar later this week to help congregations figure out this new federal care program. You know, there's something that a district can do to help all the individual congregations. And then the Senate, again, coordinating all those things together. So when everybody works at, uh, the fancy word for this is, besides the doctrine of vocation, is subsidiarity. So the idea is that, that we should do everything that can be done at the closest level to us. In other words, 
I'm not going to wait for the federal government to get my mom groceries. I'm going to go shopping for my mom, right? That I'm the smallest level that can deal with the problem. My mom needs groceries. But then when we get up to a level of how on earth does a church or a school apply for this federal program that's going to come out? I don't know how to do that. I don't have the expertise for that. I'm, I'm a parish pastor. I need help with this. Well, my district is going to help me with that. How do the districts coordinate with each other to make sure we're all doing everything together? Well, the Senate is going to help with that. So when we all find the right level, the right subsidiary level that we can work at most effectively, that works best. And again, this is the doctrine of vocation writ large. I'm not jumping out of one circle, jumping from home and jumping over my mom who needs groceries to go do some federal program, I'm going to start at the level where the Lord has called me to do the most work closest to me, and then I'll work out from there with excess capacity or gather together with other people when I need excess capacity. So that's district and synod. Finally, Heath, what can you tell us about LCMS stewardship? Well, I can definitely tell you that uh, people are going to be very interested in it as, as we come through this crisis. You know, we've obviously, just like everybody else, we've had to cancel a lot of our workshops. The thing that we do that I think is going to become, we're going to have a lot of calls for us to do more as, as we transition a little bit back to normal in, in coming months. So we run workshops at the circuit level, out in the districts, all around the Senate, talking with pastors and lay leaders about how congregational stewardship works best. Congregations are going to be hit very hard by this crisis. Just as there are individuals living paycheck to paycheck, lots of our churches are living paycheck to paycheck. So we've got all kinds of resources at lcms.org stewardship that are always there for how congregational stewardship works. That includes sending us an email to set up a workshop in, in your area. The Synod right now is working even more towards, we've got things in the works bringing together a lot more than just my little department and stewardship, but bringing together everybody from the Office of National Mission to talk about how can we help congregations in crisis and how can we help congregations just reopen and reach out as, as this crisis wanes. So that more of that is in the works. I encourage people, therefore, not only to check out our website for stewardship, but the Missouri Synod has now got a COVID-19 website that's up and running, and you can always check the LCMS leader blog for different ideas that all of us are rolling out. So I've got a, a blog up there right now about getting a financial crisis plan together for your congregation right now. I have some ideas for kind of what that might uh, look like. So folks can check that out at the blogs.lcms.org. So tons of stuff on our website. I encourage people to poke around. The special stuff for COVID-19, the leader blog, the stewardship website, the disaster response website. You know, everybody's putting stuff together, but probably the pit place where all, all this will come together is that special site for COVID-19. Learn more about LCMS Stewardship at lcms.org stewardship. Managing the gifts God gives us, LCMS Stewardship lcms.org slash stewardship. Pastor Heath Curtis is pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Warden, Illinois, and Zion Lutheran Church in Carpenter, Illinois, and serves as coordinator for LCMS Stewardship. Heath, thanks. Hey, thanks, Dad. 
Tomorrow on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Ken Samples about the coronavirus and conspiracy theories. There are those on the right and on the left. We'll discuss the church and the reality of death with Dr. Carl Truman and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. Christians give because they have been given so much. In fact, they've been given everything. They understand that all that God does for us is a gift in Jesus Christ. Not only our salvation, but everything. And so they are quick to give as well. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com. Hello, this is Pastor Kevin Golden of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village Lutheran are proud to be part of the Issues Etc. 300, sharing in their Christ-centered, cross-focused proclamation of the gospel. If you find yourself in St. Louis, join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.45 for the Divine Service, 9.30 for Bible study and Sunday school, as we receive Christ's gifts of forgiveness, life, and salvation. Or visit us on the web at www.villagelutheranchurch.org.